If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is the Glass Tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. And I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we are going to extend the conversation we had two weeks ago in the last episode of Art Dirt regarding the Texas Panhandle trip that Jessica and I took over this summer. Um, it was a lot of cities. We started in Albany circled up through Amarillo and ended in Wichita Falls. And today we're going to talk about the last half or the second half of the trip, which consisted of waking up in Lubbock, driving up through Plainview and Canyon, landing in Amarillo before finally circling back through Wichita Falls before returning to Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, where we are both based. And just like in the last episode, we're going to discuss just the generalities of what we saw. We saw a ton of venues. We saw a huge variety of art venues, in fact, um, museums, nonprofits, consignment stores, uh, hidden away gallery spaces, and even land art, in fact. So, Jessica, I will just start with asking you, um, were you surprised as I was to see such diversity in the exhibition spaces that we were able to visit during this trip? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now looking back on it, it makes sense that of course, um, most places will have a variety of types of arts venues. But I think when originally, when I was thinking about visiting the panhandle i didn't think about all of the things that we would see from traditional museums to galleries but beyond that also art studio spaces on college campuses and smaller independently run venues that add that additional flavor and interest to any art scene i think there's something that we could touch on um which is kind of the university presence in the selection of spaces that we saw. Um, it's funny, every time I i was kind of recollecting my thoughts to describe this trip to our listeners, I was thinking um, like, oh yeah, we also went there. Oh yeah, and then we went there too. Um, and part of that is like the culmination of the trip in Wichita Falls. We were able to visit the Wichita Falls Museum of Art which is a part of Midwestern State University. And then we were also given a nice little tour of um, 
kind of the whole fine art program on the campus of Midwestern State University. Our guide for that tour was the sculpture head, uh, Suguru Hiraide. And he was gracious enough to just show us all the classrooms and all the different, um, you know, every university art program has different equipment and different facilities because a lot of this stuff is expensive or rare. Um, So it's always a little fun to see, like, what does this school specialize in? Um, And I was just surprised at kind of the footprint of their art program and then also kind of the intricacy of their sculpture facilities. Like, for instance, they've got a whole room that's dedicated to enameling, um, which is a subset of, like, the metalworks or the metalsmithing program. Um, you know, and that's that stuff is just fun to see. It makes you think of all the people from possibly all over the world that come to this program to specialize in enameling. Yeah, and they also had some great kilns um, outside for their ceramics department, um, which while we were there also made me think back to um, our time in Lubbock and seeing um, the wood firing kilns. Yeah, at Luca, they have that dedicated metals program. There's a lot of like fire materials in the panhandle, which is um, a little, maybe not surprising. I just don't know how they tolerate it being uh, out in that that arid temperature. Um, so another interesting point I just wanted to mention about the like university connections that some of these spaces have is that there's a little bit of a switcheroo in uh, between Wichita Falls and Amarillo, uh, meaning at the Amarillo Museum of Art, the museum sits on the grounds of Amarillo College, and it is maintained, the building is maintained by the college, but they're actually not affiliated. The program, the pedagogy, they don't overlap. Um, Whereas... Midwestern State University, which runs the Wichita Falls Museum of Art, uh, those campuses are slightly distant from each other, but they are, the the university does operate the museum. Yeah, I found that surprising because, you know, coming up to the Amarillo Museum of Art, the building is very much a part of the college campus. It feels like a natural extension of that, um, which makes sense that the college maintains the building. Um, but I was really surprised to learn that the programming, the curation, the museum itself um, was a separate entity. And I think at some of these venues, at some of these exhibition spaces and museums, you're never too far away from somebody that's possibly affiliated with the local uh, university system. Um, for instance, John Rivette was our complete guide to Amarillo. He drove us out to Amarillo Ramp, which we got to see up close and personal um, on a slightly, slightly cloudy day, just enough to make it tolerable. Um, and you can kind of tell he's he's been in Amarillo for a long time. He is an associate professor of art at West Texas A&M University. He took us on a little tour of Amarillo venues, like places like Invisible Genie and Kalichi Gallery, 
both of which are like artist independently run um, smaller spaces, a little more DIY, but he knows all these people and he was fortunate to connect us and show us around. Um, And it just seems kind of apparent that someone with that kind of like institutional grounding understands the weight of both museum programs, but also the necessity of the cycling resurgence of local art, people making art locally or showing it locally or facilitating it locally. Yeah, and, and I think for me, that was something I hadn't really considered again before before going out there. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense um, having been out to the Panhandle now and spending some time at each of these places. It makes a lot of sense that these um, universities uh, would be kind of uh, a landing pad, uh, a hub, all, all of the things, right, uh, for creating and supporting the art scenes that are emerging in these towns. On the flip side, um, it is still the panhandle. It is still a big, giant, wide-open place with a slightly slower pace than perhaps the metro areas. Uh, And one great example of that is the Contemporary Arts Museum Plainview, which is a smaller, more modest building downtown in Plainview. And so that's going to be like um, maybe less than an hour south of Amarillo and a little farther than that north of Lubbock in between the two major cities. That's a cultural center that was founded and run by Kelly Allison, although during our visit, uh, her daughter Madeline was there to show us around and give us a tour of their programs, which includes some semi-permanent exhibitions, um, a lot of stuff that's accessible to children, that's kind of interactive. There was a little... uh, mini putt-putt course in one of the center galleries that consisted of pool noodles and uh, things were kind of affixed to the ground in a way that was like soft and wouldn't make anybody stumble or trip. And it was lit by a black light, which is super fun. Yeah, it was a really fun space um, and unexpected kind of um, in this halfway space between some of the larger towns. Um, And the building was interesting uh, it's very winding um, as we kind of walked through. Um, it just felt like it kept kind of unfurling as we walked through it. Um, and we got to discover a little bit more as we stepped into each room. Also on the rear wall exterior of the building, there's a John Rivette mural. Um, and there's even a couple other sort of like semi-unfinished murals on adjacent buildings outside. There's kind of a a slightly like Wild West laissez-faire feeling to the way that the the museum is functioning within the city, that that there's kind of a void of arts programming that they get to fill and they get to choose um, how to engage with the public. And while we were there, Madeline expressed uh, an interest within the community to develop a cultural district um, within Plainview. Jessica, given that you and I have eyes on 
what a cultural district's goals looks like in a bigger city like Fort Worth or Dallas. Um, Plainview is a small, small, small place. Uh, old brick roads, that kind of thing. Do you have any thoughts on what a cultural district could do for a community like that? I think the museum itself has the potential to draw in audiences who are you know, passing through the area while also serving the immediate community. So I could imagine that creating a larger cultural district and establishing more cultural institutions in the same downtown space could help to cement the city as a cultural stop um, for anybody who's kind of passing through. Um, You know, I imagine that there is a lot of travel between Lubbock and Amarillo. um, And there's a lot happening in both of those two cities. We talked a lot during our last podcast about Lubbock's first, first Friday event. So I could see how establishing a cultural district in Plainview and having more organizations, more venues, more things happening in in a relatively small footprint could help bring in uh, a larger audience um, that might be just passing through while also continuing to serve um, more people from the community who might have interests beyond just contemporary art. Speaking of spaces that are maybe like off the path a little bit, I was so taken aback by our visit to the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, um, simply because it's huge. It's a massive, massive museum. Um, And the art collection is actually not, at least by like size, it's not like the most significant part of the museum, simply because they have a ton of objects in many different categories. Um, But even even the galleries on the arts floor, the the galleries that kind of get to have their own space, a little bit separated from the more historical side of the museum's mission. Um, Beautiful galleries, lovely early Texas artwork, tons of artifacts that are perhaps more in line with maybe craft than fine art. There's a really old streetcar that has uh, glass side lamps um, from the 40s that I was completely blown away by. Uh, Not exactly fine art, but almost certainly made by someone with some art acumen uh, back in the day. And I just wanted to point out that the building is a former Works Progress Administration building circa 1934. There's some historical murals on the interior of the lobby when you walk in. Um, Yeah, just tons of Texas antiquities. The, the collection was really astounding. Was it your first time to the museum as well, Jessica? Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed the tour that we got, a very thorough tour. Yes, Dina Craighead, the curator of art for their museum, gave us a lovely, illustrious tour, including the vault. It was such a treat to walk through the space with her and to hear both about the historical collection and the arts collection, which she oversees. Um, And just to really hear her visions for um, moving forward and and what she would like to see 
happen with the collection galleries, um, how to bring some some new and relevant conversations into those galleries while highlighting some of the fantastic works that they have in their collection. Um, one of the things that she showed us as we walked through that we, we talked about with her was a recent exhibition that she organized of quinceanera dresses um, where she worked with the local community um, to identify some local dresses and other types of artifacts related to quinceaneras and put those on view, which I got the sense was really meaningful and impactful for the local Latino community. Um, And I'm excited to see how she continues to work with community as she's thinking of how to approach the collection. Yeah, you know, when you get to have a curator kind of like flip through the flat files and show you maybe things that haven't been seen on view in the museum in a long time, or even if they just have a little anecdote about, you know, uh, a nude portrait painting and they've got all the details on who's who and who commissioned the painting and frankly, just how it ended up in uh, the panhandle of Texas, that stuff is really, it's really priceless. And we had a lot of fun conversations about um, maybe how some galleries are going to like switch around what they'll be showing based on like the valuable ceiling height in this particular room that like none of the other galleries have. Um, Or like how maybe the permanent collections can use a little a little bit of switching out uh, to refreshen them a little bit. Those conversations just always hit home that, you know, our, our curators in the state, like they care about the audiences that are walking into these museums and they care about giving them relevant narratives. And they're thinking about um, how to take this place, even a place as old as the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and keep it relevant for the present and the future. Speaking of vault access, uh, Danny Bills, the curator of collections and exhibitions at the Wichita Falls Museum of Art, was also nice enough to take me into their vault and just see um, the prints, the paintings that they have back there, as well as you know some like antiquated machinery. It's always fun to see what uh, museums have, what kind of like you know, maybe it's some sort of like machine that's not relevant anymore because of personal computers, but they just haven't, um, they haven't thrown it out. Uh, Maybe it's becoming more and more historically relevant (laughs) the less it gets used. Um, One interesting thing I got to see was some of the uh, photographs of Frank Golke, who is a famous American photographer, and he took photographs of the big 1979 tornado aftermath in Wichita Falls, which they make an effort to exhibit kind of in like a memorial sense. So annually, they they try to bring those photographs out and just tie it back to the great loss that the community faced um, all those years ago. It was fun to get to see the vault at PPHM in Canyon. And then when we ended our trip in Wichita Falls, um, I got another little peek inside. I think a lot of most people's experiences with museums are, of course, you know, 
through the front doorways and in the gallery spaces and the public spaces. Um, but I'm so interested in kind of the behind the scenes inner workings of institutions like museums um, and the types of facilities that they require to do all of the things that we know museums do, but we don't necessarily think about in our day-to-day visits to them, like cold storage for photographs or just storage for, for paintings and equipment and um, and where all the offices are, all of those kinds of things that get hidden and tucked away in the floor plans of these massive buildings. And sometimes these spaces change. Um, one example being the Kemp Center for the Arts, also in Wichita Falls, which we had the privilege of touring. Um, It's a former library built by Joseph Kemp at the behest of his wife in 1917. And it functioned as a library for all that time until the city of Wichita Falls outgrew the Kemp Library, relocating it because of their need for more space at which point the city of Wichita Falls then leased the building, the former Kemp Library, to the Arts Council in 1998. And it opened in 2002 to the public after renovation. So no longer functioning as a library, um, it has event space, there's like a children activity center. There were these really cool, like, I don't know, oil and water, uh, resistance tiles that would kind of like squish and, and make shapes when you stepped on them in the in the children's activity center um, and they also have a beautiful little sculpture garden outside uh, this was definitely during a heat wave um, and I'm a native Texan so I, I really mean that so we didn't uh, we didn't stand in the sun for too long but they have a beautiful sculpture garden that features nine permanent works funded by the Fane Foundation in memory of Minnie Ray Wood. I just thought it was such a nice, um, open, almost like unassuming sculpture garden. I feel like sometimes when I go to sculpture gardens, they're a little too sacred. They're like a little too walled up. Um, And this one was just like so friendly and nice. And it felt like there was maybe room for them to maybe add something else whenever they whenever they feel like it but also a beautiful little like butterfly pollinator uh garden in the center just just a really nice addition to their to their community space yeah and the space itself was was just a really welcoming um relatively simple floor plan type of space um but i loved seeing things like uh, the stained glass. Yeah, they they had a well, they had a leaded glass installation in one gallery, and then on the interior wall of that gallery, there was a tiled uh, mural. Both of those pieces, both the stained glass and and the tile work, um, were just you know really really beautiful pieces. Um, a little unexpected, um, and just something a little bit different than than what I was used to seeing um, at some of the other spaces that we visited. I think something that uh, strikes me is that being a little spoiled for um, like primary market white cubes where where we're located, Jessica, which is in North Texas, DFW, 
I was kind of curious to see how the different museums, cultural centers, and venues, uh, how they fill out that roster where they are. Um, and given that they're all relatively spread out from each other. Um, DFW is a pretty huge metro area in itself, but by distance, we traveled much, much farther distance than you would going from like the Dallas Museum of Art to the Fort Worth Modern. Um, And I think one thing I took out of the Panhandle trip was that like, it's not super predictable. It's not super like neat and tidy. Like the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum is in Canyon, which is outside of like the major metro area of Lubbock, but it's like one of the biggest historical museums that we have in the state. Um, And then a place like the Kemp Center, which is um, on the smaller side, like architecturally is one of the most interesting and has some unique features to its layout that maybe even some of the bigger spaces don't have. You know, not every museum has a sculpture garden and that's totally fine. Um, It's just so interesting that you find it in Wichita Falls. Right. And I felt the same way about visiting Albany and the old jail arts center. Um, you know, when, when I first drove up and I just saw the outside facade of the building, I wasn't really expecting to walk around the corner to a substantial sculpture garden, um, which, you know, though relatively small compared to maybe other museums, felt like it fit very nicely with the old jail arts center's space. One of the things that really struck me about the prominence of the universities to the art scenes, um, especially right now in my life, having a high school senior who is looking at colleges and thinking about where she wants to be um, next year, just that reminder that, that amazing artists are professors at some of these smaller universities that might not be the number one choice for people outside of the panhandle. And they are cultivating fantastic programs to support emerging artists. So I think in a lot of ways, these smaller universities and colleges throughout the panhandle are these hidden gems that maybe people who are my daughter's age, who are are thinking about um, going to college in the coming years, maybe they don't have it as the top of their list but maybe they should or maybe they should at least consider going out for a tour to see what's available i mean it's worth asking right um because it's it's really impossible for anyone to sort of imagine or predict or kind of like you're saying jessica like maybe it's not your first choice but you should ask because you never know what might be in the collections of a university museum or like what their relationship might be to local museums. Perhaps there's a dedicated program that specifically works in developing um, a certain craft or exhibiting a certain historical vein of art. And I agree, I think we totally found that on this trip that there's absolutely hidden gems in these locations. And yeah, the people at the museums and the universities, um, a lot of them have a longstanding history is what I 
took away from the panhandle trip. A lot of these people are maybe not necessarily from the panhandle, but they've been there a long time and they've got encyclopedic knowledge of what is important in the history of the culture and also what like are the concerns um, and obstacles that they face moving forward. But absolutely. I mean, we're very pro road trip here at, at art dirt. And with that, that is our panhandle trip this summer in a nutshell. Um, There's always more to see and these places are growing and changing and shifting all the time. We'll certainly go back and check in with the museum workers, the artists and the community members that we befriended uh, this summer and we'll check in and see how they're doing. Um, And we suggest that you do the same. Be sure to take some time, get out of the city a little bit, visit the Panhandle, see the museums, um, and go see some art as well. If you're interested in finding out more about the state of the arts in the Texas Panhandle, you can be sure to read more of that in the description of this post on Glass Tire. Um, Jessica recently posted a review of Technicolor Summer at the Old Jail Art Center. And we have more Panhandle content upcoming to be published soon that you can read. We'll be back in two weeks with another Art Dirt. And in the meantime, we recommend that you take a look at our events listings in our statewide calendar. And if you're able to, go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.